0: Well hey everybody. This is Nica Spaulding and welcome to the Watermark Equipping Webinar. I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our, our panelists today. First of all there's Nathan Wagnon, the equipping director of apologetics at Watermark. So yeah, hey that's Nate. Right.
1: What's up? Hey, good to be with you guys. Normally I'm the one who's introducing all this, so if you've been on these in the past you've already heard my voice, but uh, pass the baton to Nika for today. So,
0: so we'll see how well that goes. <laughs> uh, the next panelist is Sylvia. Used to be McCallum, now oh, Bateman. Formerly so. so, formerly known, so. known as McCallum. Yeah. Uh, and Sylvia will jump in if we have questions and interrupt us. So, thank you, Syls. It's my pleasure to be here. At-
1: how long have you been married, Sylvia?
0: Yeah, you know, a month and three days. But that- this team-
1: Legit.
0: Yeah, looking forward to answering those questions, and I'll just be responding back to you, and then if we get one more than once, we'll pose it to the panelists.
1: Awesome.
0: She's also willing to answer questions about marriage, because she's now an expert. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then our two panelists. So, first one, Dr. Steve Porter. He's the professor of theology and philosophy at Biola University at the swampy, cold Southern California area. Yeah, yeah.
2: uh, that's right. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: That's great. And I should probably also mention that he's the general editor of the Journal of Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. So he knows a few things about what we're talking about today. (laughs) Um, And then our next panelist, Scott Burns, who's the pastor of discipleship at Grace Church.
3: Good to be here. Looking forward to this.
0: And you can tell from his accent, he's from Michigan. So,
1: <laughs> I'm a Texan. Can you not tell? I'm a Texan. <laughs> nice. Uh,
0: so Scott's from Scotland. So if nothing else, you'll get to enjoy his accent for the next hour.
3: Yeah.
0: So I'm going to go ahead and kick over to the guys. And uh, as you all know, we're talking about discipleship today. And one of the things about discipleship, if you were to ask 10 people, what is discipleship, you'd probably get 10 different answers. And so we're going to just start, kick it over to and just talk about what are some common views of discipleship, and maybe what are some common misconceptions about discipleship.
1: Yeah, so as as you can see on your uh, computer here, we've got, uh, we just... Pushed out of three or four just common views that we typically see around here, um, and by here I mean like in the DFW area, but even in my experience, like broadly, pretty much wherever I go, these things tend to tend to pop up. So one of the most common ones that I hear, and, and as I was preparing for this webinar today, and and normally I think about discipleship a lot anyway, so I typically my radar is up about. And what's going on in that conversation. I, probably one of the biggest things that I hear is, is uh, this dichotomy that is uh, conversion and uh, the fact that someone can be a Christian and yet not be a disciple. So there's kind of this conversion first and then this optional discipleship and following Jesus comes later as you raise your level of commitment or your level of activity or something like that so that's pretty common as thing that we see um, around that I see which goes to number two that there that something that requires some kind of like unspecified level of commitment and the reason we said unspecified there is because a lot of times the level of commitment in order to be deemed a disciple totally differs between whoever you're talking to so in fact, I was listening to a, a deal uh, a few weeks ago by a guy, and he had his eight things that um, were required in order to be a disciple. So, if you had to fulfill those eight things, and then you were a disciple, which can be confusing, obviously, because that one guy has eight, another guy has ten, another guy has three. Like, well, which one is it? So. And then a lot of times in churches, as we hosted the Church Leaders Conference here a few weeks ago, I talked to a lot of pastors from around uh, the country, really. And a lot of them um, in churches will have the idea of discipleship as being just like a a little more than a Bible study. So if someone says, I'm going to go to my discipleship group, really what they're talking about is I'm going to go to my Bible study, and we're going to study Romans. And then I'm going to go home, and maybe what's required of me is I read a little bit else outside of that, and maybe memorize some verses, but then I'm just going to come right back to my discipleship group the next week and, and be discipled, which plays into number four there. And that is a lot of people will tie in their definition of discipleship to a certain program or methodology. So if you completed a curriculum, then you've been discipled. Or if you met with an older Christian person who's a little further down the road and more mature, then you've been discipled. So. Steve and Scott, I'll pass it to you guys. Like, What are some common things that you guys see in your contexts that are just various views on how people think about and talk about discipleship?
2: Well, uh, I, I, the one I see probably most, though, I, I, I can relate to all those you mentioned, is uh, is number four, Nathan, the, the certain program or methodology. In fact, just, just yesterday I was with a class of students um, here at Biola, and I just asked them, I said, how many of you, um have been discipled and out of a class of about 50 i would say maybe a, a quarter to a third raised their hands and then when i asked them so you know what what did that look like um you know what was what was uh, how were you discipled and and most of them it, it, it they 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 only counted it as discipleship is if they had uh some sort of usually older more mature christian who came alongside them for a season of time either right after they got saved or could have been later in their their Christian life, but that person mentored them for a season. It could be a year or two, and also there was a real strong emphasis on kind of life on life uh, mentoring. This this real close access where it wasn't just we met in a coffee shop and and they taught me how to you know study the Bible or something. It was well I got to I got exposure to how they live their life. And I thought, well you know that that's wonderful that these these students got that sort of uh, mentoring but but what I went on to say is, you know no, really everyone in this classroom's been discipled, and you are you are being discipled uh, we're being discipled by jesus and and that Jesus didn't give up on discipleship um, you know when he when he left earth, but he continues to take on uh, students uh, and so um, so that that that's the i mean to, we could talk more about that, but as I think about some of the common views. It's, it's this idea that unless I go through a certain sort of program, I'm not really, um, uh, I haven't been discipled.
0: Yeah, so let's let's go ahead and go that direction. So you touched on this a little bit just now that discipleship is is really discipleship through Jesus. And so why don't Steve and Scott and Nate jump in as you will. Just what is then Christian discipleship if it's not a methodology, if it's not this program, which is what people naturally think of, like help us define Christian discipleship, as you guys have learned over the years.
2: Well, I'll say, I'll say something, and then Scott's gonna, Scott and Nathan can correct me. But I, I, th- I think what's <laughs> helpful is, is to distinguish uh, between Jesus' concept of disciple and discipleship and then Jesus' methodology of discipleship. And, and what I mean by the concept, again, is, is disciple, the Greek word methetos, right? It, it means something like a student, a learner. And so what Jesus called to himself is he called learners. He called students and again that, that's something he didn't stop doing when he, when he asked the, when he asked his 12 to go out and make disciples he wasn't asking them to make disciples of themselves he was calling them to go out into the world and make students of Jesus and so we, we are all disciples of Jesus that's what Jesus was teaching when he taught about discipleship it was discipleship to himself and then there's a question of methodology and of course the methodology Jesus used was this kind of life-on-life, follow-me-around, uh, live life together for three years in a small kind of uh, group se- situation. But not all of the disciples in the first century that were disciples of Jesus followed him around. There were other disciples that stayed where they were. And so there were, there were ways to be discipled by Jesus that didn't include that life-on-life life methodology. And that's where I get concerned is that we, you know, in a lot of our discipleship ministries, we've adopted a certain methodology and we, we think, you know, if we, if unless you've gone through this sort of program or this sort mm-hmm. of kind of relationship, that's the only way you've been discipled, when there's all sorts of other ways that we can uh, nurture each other's discipleship to Jesus. And, and so I think if, if we distinguish between Jesus' concept of discipleship from his methodology, it turns out there's lots of other ways to come alongside people in their discipleship to Jesus besides just meeting with them in a small group format or one-on-one. And so there's lots of ways that we encourage or nurture one another's discipleship to Jesus that, that, that involves all of the different giftings of the body of Christ and all of the different ways that uh, the members of the body of Christ uh, reach out to one another. So that, that's, that's part of how I would uh, kind of make that distinction.
1: Yeah, I think that 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 distinction is so critical um, for understanding and thinking rightly about Christian discipleship because so often what we see is that the methodology or attempting to, to imitate, even like imitate in a, in a really literal way, the way that Jesus did things can swallow up Jesus' overall concept of discipleship. And then people begin to think that the methodology or the way that it plays out actually is discipleship whereas it's this concept that Jesus had of discipleship was the overarching like umbrella and that various methodologies like fit underneath that so it's it's a uh, subcategory so someone who meets with an older person is like well I'm doing discipleship and and I think the right answer is well yeah you are but I think maybe even more accurately to say yes you are and right now Jesus is discipling you um, his discipleship in your life looks like you meeting with an older individual who's coaching you on life and mentoring you. And, and you could say yeah. the same thing about someone who's going through a really specific kind of intense one-on-one or, or small group discipleship program that's that's very programmatic and has requirements and checklists and you know that I think the answer there too is yeah I mean that also is an expression of discipleship. I think Jesus is using that to disciple you but the where we get in trouble is looking at that expression of it and calling that methodology discipleship itself. And, and uh, so I, I couldn't agree more with, with that um, distinction between concept and methodology. Scott, what are you, what are you thinking man?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking exactly the same, you know, uh, so in one sense we've got to look at Jesus and distinguish his concept from his methodology, but then we've got to be able to self-examine and look at am I blending Uh, or making synonymous discipleship and the methodology that I like to use. And I think uh, one of the the books on the resource list, Wilkins' book, uh, Following the Master, I think one of the things he sets out really well is the whole concept of Jesus at the time that he was in existence here on the earth. There were a bunch of methodologies for investing in people's lives that existed at that time. Um, that then the way he's going about doing things was making certain distinctions about what he was intended to do with people that set his way apart from what was going on in this discipleship language that existed. And then as we've talked a lot about, like as you look through Scripture, once you get beyond the Gospels, that discipleship language sort of disappears because the concept seems to broaden beyond what was an understood methodology of their time to try and give a better flavour of what discipleship should look like as a whole life concept. Um, and so I think, yeah, we, we very easily look at uh, a term like discipleship and a methodology that goes with that, but I think Scripture shows that, that Jesus broadened that, and, and the biblical message broadens that out to be something far greater um, than what we often uh, attribute to it.
2: I'm just going to add a, a bit to, to that as well, and I, I, I like what both of you guys are, are saying, but um, and, and it, that is, on this on, on this way of thinking about discipleship, there's a sense in which discipleship is, is both less demanding and even more demanding. Um, and what I mean by that is there's a sense in which the ways that we are called to interact with others in their discipleship to Jesus are both less demanding and more demanding. So what I mean by that, the less demanding part would be something like this. Well. Actually, I can be involved in nurturing someone else's discipleship to Jesus in all sorts of other ways that are less demanding than inviting them into my house and, and meeting with them once a week or whatever them are going through some sort of rigorous curriculum. That's fine. That's wonderful. But sometimes people, I think, take themselves kind of off the hook to be involved in in nurturing someone else's relationship with the Lord because well the only way to do it is in this particular methodology. Mm-hmm. No no there's all sorts of ways to do it. There can just be very informal ways that of course are are very encouraging to us in our discipleship or or you know ways that people come alongside us to pray for us or just an encouraging word or or teaching. I mean there's lots of ways that people teach us and and we're not being they're, not, our dis- they're we're not being discipled by them, but they certainly are nurturing our discipleship to Jesus. So it's less demanding in that sense. There's lots of ways to interact with people that's, that are going to be helpful in their transform- transformational relationship with Jesus. But on the other sense, it's, it's, it's more demanding because as Scott was kind of alluding to, the, the, as the New Testament goes on, the more radical call is not to have disciples uh, of, of myself, but the more radical call is I now have brothers and sisters in the family of God. So these people are my brothers and sisters, and I'm 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 committed to them in a much more radical way than than a rabbi and a disciple. Um, I mean, here's one here's one thing that I think is a little problematic about how a lot of our discipleship methodologies go, which, by the way, isn't even, even, isn't even how Jesus did it. But we think, well, after I've discipled a group of people thinking that what it is is it's some set period of time where I meet with these folks, well, then I'm kind of done with them. And now their, mm. their job is to go out and multiply. They're to reduplicate. But, of mm. course, Jesus himself didn't do that. I mean, he, didn't, he sent his disciples out, but he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So Jesus never stopped discipling the twelve continue to disciple them by his spirit. So this model that we have sometimes where we, where we meet with a group of guys or, or women and then we say, okay, you've been discipled now. Now you need to go start your own discipleship groups. And, and I kind of let them go, right? And I, I say, well, I'm going to start a new group now. Well, we need to think about that because there's a way that that can go. That's not even Jesus' methodology. He didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't leave them after a period of time. Um, but but so, so there's a more radical call where the people that God has called me to are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're my brothers and sisters in Christ forever. And so, it, you know, for the rest of my earthly life and on into eternity, I have a responsibility to them uh, if I'm called to nurture their discipleship to Jesus that doesn't last for a year or two or three. It lasts a lifetime, potentially. And so the the this this model of discipleship actually turns out to be a lot more radical, I think, than the kind of Life on life, meet for one or two or three years and then and then send them out that 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 's actually too easy and and we could probably tell stories where people sometimes really feel left and hurt and abandoned when they need more nurture and they they 're still growing in their discipleship to Jesus and they still need people around them uh, to support them
1: yeah so i I was listening to a, a actually a prominent church here in the dFw area guy did a a uh, sermon on discipleship a few weeks ago and um, he got to this point, Steve, that you were just talking about, and he actually said he was like, he was like, and so some of you guys are thinking like, man, I've got a, uh, because he was he was thinking through it in the model of it's this specific methodology. You have to invite people into your home, into your life, and to, you know, uh, and that only is discipleship. And so he was like, I know some of y'all are sitting there and you might be frustrated or you know thinking, hey, how do I do this? And and his answer was, well, it's really hard. And you're going to have to totally reorient your life to bring people into this, I mean, he didn't say these exact words, but it's what he meant, it was, is to bring people into this type of methodology. And, and I think that a lot of times as I walked away from that podcast, I just thought like, man, I wonder how many people walked away from that message just deeply frustrated. And I mean, I, I was a little bit frustrated too, because I'm like, man, you're missing the beauty of... The, the fact that Jesus is discipling all believers at all times everywhere um, and is using all raw data at his disposal to make them look more like himself and mm-hmm. and so um, I, I think that um, for sure as as we're thinking through this there is that hey uh, I, I want people to let go and be free of that idea that if I don't invite these five guys in my house every single week for multiple hours and spend all this time with them um, to like train them in these really specific ways then I'm not doing discipleship and so if I could just Uh be really explicit like that's that's what we're saying is that Jesus is the one who is discipling people and it's it's our responsibility um, as brothers and sisters um, to uh, encourage one another equip one another be involved in one another's lives as Jesus is discipling us all. So, sure. uh, just to state that really specifically.
0: If,
3: if I can add sure. something else on to the end of that. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think from my own journey, one of the things that where, where I find a lot of caution with, with methodology is I'm someone who's been really passionate about discipleship, really excited about trying to get people um, growing the relationship with Jesus, more effective at ministering the way he's called him to minister, and I found in my own life with my passion for the methodologies that I discovered and seen working. I was so excited and so passionate about trying to impart that to other people. I reached a point where I realized that I focused more on the method of discipleship than on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and What I was imparting to people, I was sitting down, I was talking more about the tools that they needed to help someone meet with Jesus, and I was helping them to meet with Jesus. Um, and, and that was a scary moment for me when I realized that yeah, methodology was more important than Jesus was. Uh, that.
0: Good words, Scott. You know, I think um, one of the things that I'm hearing from you guys is, is, Steve, as you ask that question, raise your hand if you've been discipled. I think what you guys are driving is every believer in the room should be lifting their hand then. And then yeah. a question of okay, so what method of discipleship have you been under? Um, you know, it is then the fair question follow up to that. And so just just so you know, we'd help out our audience members. What are what are some ways that Jesus is is doing the discipleship to us and for us? I mean, you say mm-hmm. that the concept is that Jesus is calling us to Him. So go ahead and elaborate on that, guys.
2: Well, uh, one thing that's connected to that, Nica, is is of course. Um, I don't want to be heard, and I'm sure Nathan and Scott don't either, as saying there's something wrong uh, about this really uh intense life on life kind of methodology i mean that 's yeah, wonderful great. i mean it's it 's mm-hmm. wonderful to be mentored by an older uh, yeah. adult uh, christian who who can speak wisdom into your life and and it 's wonderful if that can happen for a year it 's wonderful if you can have mentors like that for the rest of your life so I mean again, part of what I think this the, what we 're talking about does is it it sets us free to have those kinds of relationships mm-hmm. and to really lean into them and again maybe lean into them more than just a a one-year or two-year or three-year process but but to have mentors in our life that we hang with for the rest of our lives, that, that become kind of fathers and mothers uh, in Christ to us. And so that's, that's wonderful. And it's wonderful to bring people into our homes and let them see how we raise our kids and how our marriages work and, and how we decorate our home. I mean, there's just all sorts of things we can learn from people the more uh, we get to, get to know them and know all of their lives. So that's a wonderful method. And again, I think, I think in some sense it's better to talk about that as the family of God, that, that we have this right. new uh, this new relationship with each other, and we're family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's that's the kind of reasons why we have this close contact. Uh, but Nike when you say like what what are the other ways? I guess, and this is a whole other you know webinar, but but I mean, I I think there's really really important. Uh, She's trying to get to us back. Be, <laughs> 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 there's really an importance to really taking seriously. I think, Nathan, you were saying this, you know, that that Jesus is still at work. He is still Mm -hmm. at work in his people by his spirit. And so my focus, my attention as a follower of Jesus is on him. You know, as Paul says in Colossians 3, right, to, to set our minds on things above where Christ is. You know, Christ is, is at the right hand of the Father. He's alive and well. He's working through his spirit in our lives. And that that's where the primary transformational work is going to happen. It's going to happen between me and God. And of course, he's going to use people to to help me with that. And so, as Scott was saying, you know, he got focused more on the methodology than on actually using that methodology to bring people back into contact with Jesus. So that, that's 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 what I think is important. And then how that happens? It happens in, in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of kinds of relationships. We could certainly talk about the typical ways that God tends to work in our lives through scripture and through, you know, the various kind of roles uh and giftedness uh in the church and whatnot. And so there's some typical ways that God tends to work. Um and and that's and that's that's gonna be all part of our discipleship to Jesus.
0: Well, that's great. That that brings up a good transition to our next point of just. I've heard you guys talk about this word embodiment. It's a good transition of just as we talk about discipleship. Obviously, the church has been commissioned with this with this job to do that. And so, just what are what is the role of the church in this process of discipleship? I think one
3: of the things that's hard hard to remember, perhaps, particularly when we live in such an individualistic part of the world, like the entire Western world. Um, is that when we, when we're saved into relationship with Jesus, we're saved into the church, right. um, and it's easy to think that discipleship is about me and my relationship with Jesus. It's about me spending time in the scriptures. It's about me doing ministry. It's even about me attending the church and going along to a small group and uh, and and finding ways to minister in my gifting. But but it's more than that. As Steve was mentioning earlier, we're called to be brothers and sisters, and so we're called. To a particular level of commitment to the people uh, who are around us, believing that people are God's plan A for ministering into our lives. Um, the people that God places around us are His primary instrument that He uses to speak truth to us, to, to minister to our brokenness. Um, and so, so it's this. I, I was just reading a book yesterday. I, it's my Facebook status this morning. The church is. It's people who are. It's they're stubbornly loyal to each other. Um, stubbornly loyal relationships within the body, where we believe that we are the instruments God wants to use to minister to one another, and then from there to reach out into the world.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, as I think about this, uh, I mean, I, I love the I love that language, stubbornly loyal, um, because a lot of times, I mean, that requires uh, staying power, you know. And and I'm not talking about staying power in the in the sense of. Uh, we will ourselves, you know, in our own strength to hang in with people when the going gets tough. I mean, I'm talking about um, this this abiding relationship with Jesus that produces a strength in the Spirit that allows us to be, <clears throat> uh, in a very real sense, the the flesh and bones of Jesus um, to other people, to sit in with them, to be vulnerable with them, to minister to them, to, you know, kind of the Romans 12:15, 15, to, to laugh with them, to weep with them, to... Um, to do life and that requires over and against a surface uh, idea about discipleship that it's just these things that you do like you go read your Bible and pray and, and it typically tends to be very individualistic that unless we're looking at those types of activities within the purview of the larger family of God the, the body, the church, then I think we're uh, there's we're losing the essence of, of uh, how Jesus is Uh, discipling us um, through his body. So Sylvia I think somebody had chimed in a question.
0: We've had some good questions come in. I think with anything here we always want to know some of the practical implications of that Mm -hmm. theology Mm -hmm. of what you guys are speaking about today and so one of the questions that came in is hey if this concept is broad and each falls under that umbrella what is the best quote-unquote best way to lead (laughs) these groups? Yeah, yeah invite them into our lives. And then that question that goes along with that is, hey, does the church have a responsibility to set boundaries or criteria in which you have these leaders leading? And so I I think there's a practical and also, too, some theology.
1: Yeah, as far as the criteria, help me help clarify. um, Are are they saying, like, are there criteria for someone to be able to lead other people or? Okay, yeah. Steve, why don't you talk at that real first, and then we'll jump in.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't. I think I'm going to answer more the first part of the question about. Um, uh, well, what was, the, what was the first part of the question? Now I'm thinking I'm, I'm missing. I'm missing <laughs>
0: is, there, is there a best practice methodology, or maybe one yeah. that you have found to be really successful?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this it, it's an interesting question because um, you know, again, in one sense there there's there's nothing wrong with with having some sort of program established in a church or just someone who feels particularly called uh, to to come alongside people in a, in a particular sort of way. And, and that way might mean a certain kind of methodology that, that looks something like what Jesus did. Again, it's, that's not going to be exactly what Jesus did, but this kind of life-on-life mentoring or something, that's great. I, I think what we're saying, and, and, and I think that's, a, if you want to know a best practice, I think that's a best practice. I think what turns out to be best practice in this sense is, is what we're called to. And, and so I think God is going to... Uh, gift us and equip us, and then call us to minister to others in particular ways. And of course, that's a process where we discern our calling and what what we're good at and what we're not good at. And sometimes we need to be pushed in directions that we're uncomfortable with, and we find out that we really can come alongside others in ways that we didn't think we can. But, but But it's not a one size fits all. There's lots of different ways that different members of the body of Christ, right, we're not all the hand, we're not all the foot. And so different members of the body of Christ can come alongside others, and some some of us are going to be uh, more evangelistically gifted than others, and so we Mm -hmm. talk about what's the role of the church in discipleship where, well, we're all called to make disciples, and some of us are going to be uh, gifted and called to make disciples uh, with people who aren't yet disciples, and so we're we're inviting them into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, and yet part of the Great Commission, right, Dallas Willard would say the great omission of the Great Commission is not just that we are, are telling people about jesus but and and teach them to do all that i 've commanded right that that's a part of the great commission so part of making disciples as well is to teach them to do or to obey all that christ commanded and that's that's, that's this journey that we've been talking about too of of growth and transformation Jesus doesn't say. Uh, tell them what I've commanded and, and expect them to do it. He says, no, teach them to do all I've commanded. Teach them to love one another. Teach them to to go the extra mile with people, to turn the other cheek, to bless those who persecute them. So there's a whole program of of growth and transformation that's part of making disciples. And again, going back to the question, well, what's the best practices involved with that in the church? Well, you can't you could get too much better than just the one another's of Scripture, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to confess our sins to one another, to love one another, right, uh, to bear burdens with one another. So these are all going to be different ways that the body of Christ comes alongside one, we come alongside one another, as we're in this transforming relationship with Jesus by the Spirit. And, and so those, you know, and then, and then you can get more detailed. Well, how do I, you know, how do I bear one another's burdens or how do I encourage one another? And there's going to be lots of different ways that that can happen. And some of them are we can program, but hopefully a lot of them we don't have to program because they're just happening <laughs> as, the, as, people, mm-hmm. as the people of God are meeting together, as they're, as they're getting to know one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're finding natural ways and which we're encouraging each other, and we're exhorting each other, and we're teaching one another.
1: That's good, yeah. So I, I think if I could just share, a, um, just from my own personal experience, because I, I've, I've been in a bunch of different models of discipleship, and, and the mentor, the older mentor with a structured program is, has been hugely transformative in my life. Um, and so that's a lot of the language that I, like the practical language that I know. And I think what I learned as I continued to like have these discipleship groups, is one of the things that I learned is that as I was going, I was seeing a unique giftedness that was totally different from mine in each one of these guys that were in these structured groups that I had. And so I, I began to see that, man, if I try to expect for you to be me um, or for the Spirit to use you in the same way that he uses me, like that is not that's just totally ignores the fact of our uniqueness, the fact that that, that the Spirit has gifted us in our own ways. And so what I started to do with these guys is I was like, hey, you know, um, take the things that you're learning here and, and the way that the Spirit is transforming you, and then you need to uh, minister and be on mission in, in the very unique and and special way that the Spirit has called you. And and I think that that also requires that typically when I meet with people around here and, and just... Um, pouring capacity a lot of times it it means that I come to the table and I listen instead of trying to force some force a a square peg into a round hole and so it requires for me to ask probing questions to discern and to listen what is the spirit doing in the life of this person that's sitting across from me this person who's made in the image of God because then it takes me out of that uh, very Overly structured, formulaic type mindset about discipleship. It's like, well, okay, I don't know what to do with all that stuff you just said, but here's how you read your Bible, and here's how you pray, and here's how you because it's, we become these robots, you know, and and I'm just like, man, I, I think that this is so this is so much of a deeper reality in our lives that that we need to allow the Spirit to speak and to listen and to respond. It's a it's it's a symbiotic type relationship. So Scott, what do you say, man?
3: Yep, um, I've I've just been scribbling some stuff down here as you guys are talking. And thinking about the Great Commission again, like Jesus comes to his twelve disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations, and I think it's easy to look at that verse and think Jesus is looking at one person in that group and saying, Matthew, it's your job to go make disciples of all nations. Like Mark, Luke, whatever, it's your job to go make disciples. Peter, it's your job to go make disciples. Peter, and 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 we walk away with this idea that every one of us has to be like the perfect disciple maker that does absolutely everything that's required in the fullness of a discipleship process, mm-hmm. and and realizing that when Jesus gives that command, he gives it to a community of people, to twelve people, and says, "You together go and make disciples," and like you're saying. Different ones of those disciples have different strengths, different qualities and you see the interaction through through acts and through in the letters, the way they interact with each other, correct one another, assist one another, they've got strengths and unique abilities. Um, and, and so I think it is, it's it's partly understanding with the methodology that we're using, do we know its strengths and its limitations? Do we realise that of all the men out there, they all exist because they have some value? that my methodology is not the be-all and end-all of discipleship, but at certain seasons in people's lives, other methodologies are going to be important. And so we're throwing around methodology, we've talked about one-on-one, I just scribbled down a bunch of things, Um, like what what are other methodologies? So you've got one-on-one mentoring, um, we've got the focus on reproduction and reproducing, there's evangelism is discipleship, um, deliverance ministry and dealing with demons, Some people claim that's discipleship. Going to Bible college and seminary and going through an intensive educational experience is discipleship. Having an experience of the Holy Spirit that manifests in some charismatic way. Some people claim that's discipleship. Retreats, withdrawn into a monastic community is the best way to do discipleship. Um, Sunday school classes, a six to eight week discipleship program. Uh, missional communities, one of the new ones small groups, mm-hmm. Just like there's so many methodologies, we're, we're only hitting on one or two as we're talking for the most part but they right. all have their place um, and it's important as we look at our methodology that we do it thinkingly and we look at our method and say here's the, the benefits of the method I use, here's the weakness of the method that I use, but when you take all of those methods together they form a, like a tapestry of discipleship right. methods that are all Good. important Um, And together they paint the full picture of what discipleship needs to be. Um, So like you said, what are my abilities? How has God wired me? Which methodology best suits the way that He's called me to grow? And if it's different to the person next to me, then how do we work in partnership to make sure the people that God has called us to walk with um, are
1: getting the best of both worlds? And and as Steve said, I mean, that is both less demanding and more demanding. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Scott, I would add to your list, just even parenting, I think uh, oh, so many absolutely. times you kind of hear these stories about mom or dad leaves the family so that they can go to Starbucks, so that they can do discipleship, forgetting that what they did before they left <laughs> mm-hmm. the home was also discipleship yeah. and, and an integral part in different yeah. seasons that God brings people to and through.
2: Yep. Yep. If someone wanted uh, a resource that goes uh, kind of right along the lines that Scott was talking about, uh, there's, a, there's a book that recently came out by Alex Absalon and Bobby Harrington called Discipleship That Fits, and they, the, the subtitle is The Five Kinds of Relationships God Uses to Help Us Grow. And I think they, they go through this, this, this model that, that's similar to ours, that's similar to what we're saying here about um, the different ways, the different kinds of relationships that, that the Spirit of God tends to uh, join himself with and work through. That's good. That's
0: great. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about and touched on and I think comes about is when people think of those who are really great disciplers, they think of Superman and Superwoman or Bible Knowledge Guy and Bible Knowledge Girl. But the truth is, is there's a lot of scripture that just talks about weaknesses and, and what God does through that. And so, Scott, we know this is something that uh, you feel passionate about. And so just walk us through just the role of weakness in discipleship.
3: My, my thinking and where I'm at at the moment has all come, come out of one, my story, but two, sort of lots of reflection on Paul's words in Second Corinthians, where he says, My power is made perfect in weakness, or the power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast in my weakness, so that Christ's power will rest on me. Um, and just started reflecting on, uh, there, like, we experience weakness, uh, we don't like weakness, and, and so it's here, is it purely a result of the fall? Does it have any purpose? Um, in our life, is discipleship purely a process of eliminating our weaknesses um, and becoming strong? And, and and through my reflections, realizing uh, that that's not the case, that, that weakness has a significant role in our discipleship to Jesus. And so, to jump back like, at the fall, um, you've, we spend a lot of time when we look at the temptation and fall, we look at Adam and Eve's pursuit of God-likeness, we tend to critique like, that it results in autonomy, and in individualism um, and and just our attempts to set ourselves up as God in our own life, um, but reflecting on that and thinking, well, part of our pursuit of God-likeness, if we're looking as humans and saying, I want to be like God, we simultaneously have to reject the fact that we're creatures, because creatures in comparison to God are weak and have limitations. We're Unlike God, we're not all-knowing, we're not all-powerful, we can't be everywhere all the time nature of being human, God has given us and gifted us with these weaknesses. Um, So in the garden, Adam and Eve have this amazing commission to subdue the earth, and in the strength that God has given them, they get to function like God in the earth and, and, and do this shaping role. But also he's given them these deliberate limitations in their life that become catalysts to remind them that they're not God and that they must depend on him. And so our weaknesses play this role in pointing us to the Lord and causing dependence. And so when it comes to discipleship, the, the question that was asked, like the second part of it, when we're talking about these, these methodologies, like part of it, like, knowing the weakness of our methodology is important and using our methodology effectively, knowing our weaknesses and limitations as, mm-hmm. humans, as, as fallen human beings is part of helping push us in the direction that we're supposed to go um, if I'm not an intellectual, I'm probably not going to use the most intellectual method but we tend to in our discipleship look at my role when I sit down with someone or walk alongside them is to look at the, the weaknesses in their life and, and stop them um, as if the be-all and end-all is, is make them as strong as they can be but the more I talk to people and ask them like tell me about the most significant growing experiences in your life Every person, so far, (laughs) starts telling me about a really painful experience in their life where they felt completely broken, completely weak, and it forced them to depend on God in a new way. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're talking about the elements that make... What what are the best ways of discipleship? What are the elements that are important? Um, I find that the elements that are most conducive to our growth tend to be moments that remind us both of the the dignity, nobility and strength that God's gifted us with, but also that continually bring us back to the I'm I'm not God, I'm weak, I struggle, I need Him, I need other people, and so weakness plays a really important role in, in catalyzing our need for both God and others. So if we live in a world that's individualistic, what is individualism? It's I'm strong, I can do it on my own, I don't need anybody, I don't need the church, I can be the ultimate disciple maker who does it all, but there's a humility that comes. Yeah, go
1: on. Yeah, I, no, I just I'm just going to reiterate. Like I, I think, but I think we see that pretty frequently in some in some discipleship circles that that uh, that are attempting to, through uh, just sheer strength of will, will themselves beyond any kind of uh, either real or perceived weakness. So I, I think that, and I think though that what the direct result of that and, and as I'm thinking about this I'm kind of picturing like the enemy um, looking at uh, people who are attempting to drive out weakness and at the same time him like laughing all the way because he's like hey if you want to drive out this perceived weakness then I'll let you have that because what's going to replace it is pride and Absolutely. I'll and I'll take pride over those other vices any day because the pride is the very heart of, of, of where we pl- place ourselves in the place of God even if we're attempting to follow God in that pride and so I, I just, I've had a couple of just one-off conversations with guys recently. And the didn't the, the same type of language that we would expect a Christian to do. But the most recent one, the guy was like, man, by, by God's grace, these big vices of mine, the Lord's just given me a ton of freedom in that. And I've, I've just been able to surrender that. But I mean, sometimes I just find that I'm really impatient with people and, and really angry. And, and I, I've gained a lot of victory in those other areas, but I just find myself like, how do I, how do I will myself past this? And I just had to remind them that the role is not to discipline ourselves to the point where we've pushed out all all weakness in our lives, but to re- recognize that our own depth of depravity and our own sin, that we're far more sinful than we will ever know, right? <laughs> and that even when we, as I've heard you say before, Steve, even when I pray, I sin. There is sin that goes... This undercurrent that we, if we were given long enough, would be able to peel back the layers of. I mean, that's what I find, you know, in my own life is that I mature. The more someone matures, the more they realize, like, whoa, this rabbit hole goes really deep. So, Steve, why don't you yeah. talk about that?
2: Well, I gotta give, I gotta give some credit there. I think uh, C.S. Lewis was the one who said, uh, "Even when I pray, I sin." I, I was, I was hey, quoting even Lewis. He, even. Yeah. He, well, but he he,
0: he, he, he,
2: knew, he knew a few more. Th- he published a few more books than I ever will, so. yeah. um, but but yeah, no, I I mean I agree with what you and Scott are saying about the the importance of weakness. Uh, I mean, just even thinking of. I mean, I just, I just know myself, even just an, as an analogy, if I'm carrying a bunch of books in my bag and, you know, maybe a cup of coffee and I'm coming to a, to a door to come into a building and I'm thinking, oh, I can open this door by myself. You know, I can use my foot or something to get this door open. And if, if someone comes and says, hey, can I help you? There's a part of me that wants to be strong and say, no, I can do it. I can take care of myself. Um, but to admit weakness, to admit I need help, to admit I'm limited, I, I, I can't do everything is to give space for someone to come alongside me. So I think that's what Paul's, you know, talking about, it, or what he learns in 2 Corinthians 12 with the thorn in his flesh is by embracing his weakness, it actually gives more room for God to come within him and empower him and move through him because he's actually admitting he can't do it on his own. So that's, and I, Scott, I think you're, you're exactly right that Oftentimes in our discipleship, we're we're t- we're trying to get people stronger, but strength usually leads to autonomy and independence. But weakness leads us to dependence. And so I think Jesus is always, you know, the cruciform life, the cross way of life. It's a it's a call to smallness. It's a call to being right sized. It's a call to uh, taking up our cross and denying ourselves. And that's a that's a call to realize that I'm not, as, I'm not as good as I think I am, and I'm, I'm not as great as I want to be, I'm, I'm small, I'm weak, and yet that's the place in which God can empower me, and yet it's clear that it's His power working through me, not, not me. And uh, so that's, I, I think that's so that's important uh, to, to have as part of this conversation.
1: I think as we have about, I don't know, 10 minutes or so left, let's, let's shift gears and talk through, like, who is a disciple? And I mean, uh, again, like I said at the beginning, you put 10 people in a room and you're probably going to get 10 different answers. So obviously as we started, one of the common views is that there's a certain level of activity or a certain level of commitment or, you know, conversion is this and then disciple, a, a, you become a disciple when you begin to do these types of things. So why don't you guys speak to that? How, how would you answer or think about the idea of who a disciple of Jesus is?
3: Yeah, I think that at the base and most simple definition of discipleship, a disciple is anyone who's following Jesus. Anyone who's a, making themselves a student of him who's trying to walk the way he's walking. And so anyone who would claim to be a Christian and in, in their heart believe that they have a, re- a connection and intimacy with Jesus, then they're a disciple. Um, but I think one of the things that, that we've lost sight of a little bit is that discipleship is a lifelong process, and mm-hmm. it's made up of a bunch of stages that we progress through on the journey toward Christ-like, greater Christ-likeness. And, and it's, we, again, strength and weakness, we, we, we tend to think if someone is further on in that journey, they are more of a disciple than me. Um, but everyone is a disciple on that journey, but we're at different stages, and each stage is important. And, and I mean, to go back a little bit, different methodologies can be important and more valuable to different stages of our discipleship and maturity. So, yeah, everyone is a disciple who follows Jesus, but there are different stages within that process that might be worth looking at and, uh, and what's useful in each stage of growth.
2: To piggyback on what Scott said, I, I mean, I was thinking of uh, you know, Matthew 11, you know, 28, 29, you know, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. My way is easy, my burdens light. And you, know, you might think, well, is that a salvation verse or a discipleship verse? Well, I think what Scott's saying and what I would say as well, well, it, they're one and the same. Jesus is saying, come to me, uh, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, and, and you'll find rest for your soul so this is an invitation to Jesus ultimately as as Lord and and then if we if we see that that anyone who comes to Jesus is coming to Jesus as Lord uh, coming to Jesus as king we're professing our allegiance that he's the one that that he is our, our our guide he is the author of our existence that that he's the one that we want to rule our life well then it'd be re- it's really hard to try to separate Discipleship as some sort of second stage. If you're really calling Jesus Lord, then you want to learn from Him everything He has to offer uh, in how to live life and how to become more like Him. So, so again, I, I'm I think this idea that somehow discipleship is some sort of second choice uh, after you get converted. It's just it's really hard to take the Lordship of Christ seriously and think that discipleship isn't. Um, part and parcel with coming to Jesus uh, as Lord.
1: Yeah. I had a guy ask me a few weeks ago, we were having this conversation, and, and he was like, well, I mean, you know, so if someone, obviously, like, receives the free gift of God, you know, they're, they're, because a lot of times the, the reason this, this distinction is made is because people view discipleship as a work that we do, you know. So, like, well, salvation is free, but discipleship is costly, so obviously, you can be a convert, but not a disciple. And and I mean, my answer to the guy who asked asked the question was, um, is I was like, hey, it's 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 costly for us, it's costly for anyone to come to the table in a in a even in the even in the moment of conversion and Mm -hmm. uh, maintain our pride in that moment, right? I mean, even in that moment, someone is humbling himself before the lordship of Jesus to say, hey, I need a savior, and that that is a step, and I would say it's the first step or or the first step into that person's personal discipleship to Jesus and frankly let's be honest there's a lot of people out there who have made taken the first few baby steps in their discipleship to Jesus and have not progressed much further beyond that and so you know but looking at it in the stages of development we would still see them as a disciple they're just a very underdeveloped one um, mm-hmm. to use that type of terminology That's
0: good. So. so, just our last few minutes guys just to like we said earlier, we always want to make it practical and just have some just some implications for what, what, if you're listening to this, what you take away from it. So if somebody were to come and you ask the question, I want to be and make disciples, what do I do? What would be, you know, just your bit of advice over the years? What's maybe the first thing you would counsel them towards or a resource or how would you just answer if somebody comes and ask you that?
2: Well, uh, I mean, there's so many different things to say depending on who's asking the question and where they're at, but but I think I mean the the, the general point that I would want to emphasize is if you if you want to be and make disciples, then then start hanging out with Jesus. And and again I don't mean that in some sort of trite way. I mean it in a real intentional, costly way, uh, that that Nathan was speaking to, that that when we come to Jesus and we say, You're the one, we, we confess you as the living Lord of our lives, we're entering into a, a process of of dying to self and of aligning our will with the will of the Father um, uh, through the Spirit by Jesus' you know, atoning work on the cross. And so this is, this is a, if you want to be and make a disciple, just hang out with Jesus. And, you know, we see in Acts uh, that the people who hung out with Jesus, there is just something different about these folks. And there's lots of ways to hang out with Jesus. There's lots of disciplines or practices that we need to intentionally engage in in order to uh, begin to enculturate ourselves in in a way of life where where we we are seeking the things that are above, and, and our minds are set there, and they're not on earthly things. And so that's a long process. But and, and, and then I guess I would just add to that, that as we're hanging out with Jesus, as we're learning from him how to become like him, well making disciples will begin to become a desire of our hearts. As we become more like Jesus, we'll begin to have co- more and more compassion for the lost and for those around us who who are struggling in their lives in various ways. And so making disciples naturally flows out of uh, a person who is is becoming more and more like Jesus.
1: Great. Yeah. Scott, anything you would add to that?
2: I
3: mean, the same thing, like, the common words, I guess, you know, like, scriptures, if you want to hang out with Jesus, that's the primary place you're going to see him most clearly without having to wonder if it is actually Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, it's beginning to cultivate those habits of coming to the scriptures, and with that is... Who are people round about you who are followers of Jesus who you can surround yourself with, who can help walk with you in that journey? God's Word, His Spirit, and His people together um, are powerful tools for learning what it is to be a disciple and and following that process that Steve just talked
1: about. Yeah, that's good, man. The only thing I would add to that is that, um, and we are going to have a future webinar on the spiritual disciplines. Um, What are they? Mm -hmm. What are they not? um, Kind of... How are, are we to best practice these things? But I love the fact that uh, this idea of being actively passive, and what I mean by that is there is activity in discipleship to Jesus that we must participate in. We're co laborers with Christ, um, and we cooperate with the Spirit's work in our lives as the Spirit is making us more and more into the image of Christ. See 2 Corinthians 3 17 and 18, right? So if we're with ever increasing glory um, imaging Jesus and that we have responsibility in that. And yet our responsibility is not something that brings about the change or transformation in our lives. It just places us into the spot where we can passively receive the activity of the mm-hmm. Spirit to transform us. So we're actively passive. And, and, uh, and I, I think that that's what, as we think about the, uh, the spiritual disciplines, I love Dallas Willard who wrote a book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, that I would recommend to everyone but but he's he talked about in that book he said uh, that that Jesus himself was practicing disciplines and that we also should follow Jesus's example of practicing these disciplines in order to so we do these things so that we can remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the father and, mm-hmm. and that's the goal the goal is to is to remain in the fellowship with the father and I just promise you if you do that and you learn then the spirit teaches you how to do that um, then state uh, to stated to, in a double negative right you cannot not change you um, <laughs> that's that's what the spirit does he changes people's lives that's
0: right just as a if you're hearing us and you're hearing us saying, hey, the way that you can be make disciples is spend time with Jesus, then please know the heart of the equipping ministry here is to be able to help you do that. And so we have Equip Disciple starting up in the summer sessions. We have uh, this summer the one of the core classes that Nathan and I are teaching, a Keys to Effective Bible Study. Yep. And so, hey, one of the most clear and effective ways you're going to see Jesus is to be in his word, but That's that right. only works if you actually understand how to read and study and interpret and apply it and so we would love if we can help anybody listening to this or or in any anybody else who tunes in later if we can help you take your next step in walking with Christ we would love nothing more than be able to do that and so uh, friends thank you so much for tuning in today that's our time as you exit from the webinar today you're going to have an opportunity to take a survey and we value honest feedback and so we can only get better if you'll tell us where we need to get better We are going to do this again. We're going to do it June 17th. And on June 17th, we're going to have a webinar on an intro to apologetics. And our guest will be Greg Kokel, who wrote the book Tactics and uh, is just a friend of Watermark. And certainly we want to call ourselves his friend as well. And so, Steve, Scott, thank you so much
2: for tuning in with us
0: today. That was fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's great.
0: All right. Well, if that's it, I guess we'll sign off.